Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Well, welcome to this latest episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today on the show, we are speaking with Donna Claycomb Sokol. She's a pastor at Mount Vernon Place UMC in Washington, D.C., and she worked as a White House intern and in the Clinton administration, she worked with admissions at Duke Divinity School when I first met her, and she's now back in Washington as a pastor. So, um, Donna, welcome to this episode that is sponsored by our conference call and vocation team. Thank you. So, um, it, this is our first guest in Washington, D.C. on the show, so Welcome. And so just to start out, why don't you just give us a little background? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, just some of the basics uh, so that people get to know you. Sure. I grew up in Columbia, Missouri, which is right in the middle of the state. I stayed there until I was 18 and then went to college a full 28 miles away at an all-women's college called William Woods. And mm. then came here for my final semester of college as a 21-year-old, uh, working as an intern um, in politics and worked on Capitol Hill for three and a half years, and then experienced a call and went to Duke in the fall of 97. Okay. Yeah, that was, I think, uh, 97 was uh, the time that I left Mayadan, went to uh, Mississippi, and then uh, when I came back from Mississippi, I think you were working in admissions at Duke. I was there from 2001 to 2005. Okay. So, yeah, about the same time uh, it overlapped. I went to Japan during that time. So I did know of your work there. So um, William Woods College, in right in the middle of Missouri, 28 miles from Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Correct. Sort of in the middle of the world. And now uh, you're yes. And now you're on the East Coast. That is correct, happily. All right. Well, to just get into it, tell us about your call. You're doing the po- political stuff, you're a White House intern, uh you're in the seat of power and God gets a hold of you. How did that happen? Yes, and I actually have had the joy of reflecting on that a lot over the last week. Last week was actually the 20th anniversary of the day that I experienced God's call on my life. And um, I wrote about it, but I was someone who was raised by very goal-oriented parents and incredibly hardworking parents. And my parents are people who both taught me that whatever it is that I wanted to do, that I would be able to achieve that. And they are also people who took me to hear motivational speakers at a very early age. And Hmm. so I was taught to have a list of four or five goals written down in a place where I could on a regular basis. 
And from the time that I was really young, I always thought that I would grow up and run for political office myself. And so it made natural sense for me to try to come to Washington for a year or two. That was the original plan, to come for a year or two, and then go back home and go to law school and then start running for the state legislature and then eventually become a United States senator myself. And so everything unfolded pretty quickly when I first got to Washington in terms of the opportunities that led me here and what continued to happen. Um, But in 1994, I was working in the House, and the member of Congress that I was working for was defeated that year. And Mm. what I realized is that I had put almost 100% of my identity in the gold congressional card that I had and the label that was on that business card. And so I had allowed myself to be defined um, not by who I am at my core, but what it is that I did for a living. And when that was taken away from me, that's when I started to go back to the church. Um, I was raised in the church, but had taken a several year break from it uh, in high school and college. Um, So found myself at Capitol Hill United Methodist Church, which is one of the United Methodist Church closest to the actual Capitol building. And there was a pastor there who saw my gifts almost immediately and gave me the opportunity to use them in some pretty full and abundant ways. And in April of 1996, uh, he was regularly leading a United Nations Youth Seminar in New York City and invited me to go as a chaperone. And I said yes, because I could go to New York City for free, and I'd never been. But it was during those four days in New York City um, that I began to be awakened to different other possibilities. Um, I was mesmerized by that city, and so I started to think about things like maybe I want to move to Manhattan, or maybe I want to go to business school instead of law school. And I remember calling my mother on Saturday night and getting the answering machine and leaving a message that said, "Um, Mom, everything is going great. I just want to let you know that we're safe, all is well. And I also want to let you know that I'm not going to law school next year. I'm not sure what Mm. I'm doing, but I'll call you tomorrow. And then we woke up on Sunday morning and worshipped at Riverside Church. Um, Dr. James Forbes preached, and I'd never heard a preacher like that before. Mm. And then we boarded the bus, and my pastor took hold of the microphone and offered a prayer. And um, in that prayer, David thanked God uh, for the safety that God had given to us um, and then said, God, I also am aware that you can use experiences like this to call people. And I pray that you would be with those individuals whom you have called during this weekend as they set out to discern how it is that you're leading them. And I had not spoken with David about what was happening within me. So I very much believe that it was a Holy Spirit-inspired moment, um, and that began uh, the journey of trying to figure out, okay, what is the process that leads to ordination? What is seminary? Where can I go? And even the bus trip home from New York City to Washington included some of those conversations. Hmm. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Yeah. Yes. Well, that is that is a fascinating uh, story, and uh, to think back, you know, it's 20 years uh, ago uh, that you heard this call, and, and it came from a loudspeaker on a bus. Yes. Very nice. Through a voice so, that I knew well, yes, but through a yeah. speaker on a bus. Yeah, that is uh, 
usually how it goes, I, you know, I've been doing this, you know, for you know a year and a half, and everybody's call story is different, and yet uh, over and over again, it comes from uh, people that we know well, people who mentored us, people who uh, uh, have been in our life for a period of time, and uh, uh, and it's interesting how uh, that voice came. So uh, one of the questions we ask everybody on the call and vocation shows that we do is uh, uh, describe your call in one or two words. So make it as brief as possible. Pure gift. Okay. That's two words for sure. So um, let's talk about those folks that have influenced your call. Um, and so this is David, who, is a pastor, who was the pastor at Capitol Hill um, United Methodist Church. And I know that church because I spent a semester at um, Wesley Seminary. Um, okay. Back years and years ago. Uh, I finished there and I finished at Wesley in 84. So um, it was just a semester doing um, what they call the National Capital Semester. And right, so which we, still goes, yes. And still so we. Every Monday. Yeah, we um, had an interesting uh, semester, and you know, one of the things that uh, uh, we did in that semester um, uh, was we did an internship, and so I uh, spent uh, 10 hours a week at Sojourners, and that was my internship that year, and so that was really a, a cool experience. So um, Washington, D.C., uh, the folks that influenced your call, David being one of them, who are some others? Uh, your parents, you mentioned. Yes, and I think I mean, my parents certainly laid the foundation in terms of believing in me and instilling confidence and um, constantly offering encouragement. And um, my parents are also people that uh, no matter what it is that I told them I wanted to do with my life, um, whether it what might be seen as something extraordinarily successful in the eyes of many in the world or something that might not be as prestigious, um, my parents would always support me, and I'm always grateful for that. Um, David, though, um, as my pastor, and then he later became my district superintendent, and so his hmm. voice is one um, that I will always be profoundly grateful for um, to the day that I die, and someone who just means the world to me. Um, I continue to hold Peter Story, um, a South African pastor who was one of my professors uh, mm -hmm. in Divinity School as my hero and the person whose ministry um, I would pray that I would have the courage to do half of, or not even half, perhaps even 10% um, of what Peter was able to do when it comes to really following Jesus um, in, into uncertainty, um, into places that may not make sense, um, into places that other people might say are dangerous, um, but as a result of that really are able um, or enables other people to experience life. Um, I think when I first experienced my call to ministry, one of the first people I went to was Lloyd Ogilvy, who was the Senate mm -hmm. chaplain. At the time, um, Lloyd was this incredible um, Scotsman, Presbyterian uh, pastor who had this extraordinary voice and used to lead a weekly Bible study for Senate chaplain or for Senate staffers. And so he's one of the first individuals um, that I went to communicate what I thought was happening to me. And he was one of my early prayer partners and conversation partners as well. Okay. So you went from Washington, D.C. You ended up as a student at Duke. And, um, and then 
um, I'm guessing that you spent a little time in the parish before you went back into admissions. Is that correct? One year in Hendersonville in Western North Carolina. Okay. So you went back at admissions. So what did you learn about your call being uh, an admissions person, helping other people you know, find their way in life as uh, pastors and as, um, as seminarians? Sure. And I think part of that boils down to how I would articulate or boil down my call to two words, that a call to ministry is a, is a pure gift. And I used to regularly talk to students about that gift, but also about the gift of being able to immerse yourself in a Christian community um, Mm. called seminary or called, you know, theological education, where you could be with people who were on the same journey, um, people to whom um, God had spoken in some way, and people who were really trying to figure out what faithfulness looked like when it came to that call. Um, When I was in admissions, I used to regularly tell every single prospective student um, that they were part of my flock, um, that just as God, that God had led me to, you know, to serve a congregation right after seminary, that when I felt called to go back to Duke, that I knew that the people who I was called to serve during that time were all of these prospective students scattered all across the country. And so I took that very seriously in terms of wanting to spend time in prayer for them, uh, in terms of articulating how it is that I believe that just as God calls us to ministry, that God also calls us to the seminary that is best for our guests. And if that was um, Duke at the time, then praise God. But, but if that was another place where they were going to be shaped and formed as faithfully as they could in a place that made sense to them, um, then praise God for that as well. Um, those four years were abundant years that I would not trade for anything. Um, I know that I was called away from that after four years But now I get to sit and watch on Facebook or social media, or even I get books mailed to me that have been written by students that I admitted. And I just think what an incredible privilege to have played a role in so many lives at a time um, of uncertainty, but also excitement when Mm. it comes to letting go of so many other dreams in order to follow God who's calling people in a new way. Very neat. So... um... How, how many students do you think that you dealt with over that period? Oh, my that goodness. Time period? I, well, it depends on how you define dealt with. If you think about dealt with being all the students um, who requested information about the school or who I met on the road, it could literally be thousands of people. Sure. Uh, and then you think about a couple of hundred who enroll each fall. Um, so I was there for four years. Right. Pretty amazing. Praise God. It was amazing. Yes, I'm grateful for the people who believed in me and allowed me to have that role. Well, this is a good time to take a break. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk more about that journey that has brought you back to Washington, D.C. So uh, here's a word from the call and vocation team. Hello, I'm Jim Parsons, the chair of the Call and Vocation team for the Western North Carolina Conference. We are thrilled to partner with UM Connect to bring you some unique conversations in 2016. Our team is focused on cultivating a culture of call within our conference. For more about our work, please visit us at isgodcallingme.org. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build a church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people, 
as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation in Western North Carolina at the sponsor page on our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back with Donna Claycomb Sokol, and she's in Washington, D.C. this morning. And uh, Donna, you're now on your second round in Washington, D.C. And so I, I just wanted you to compare and contrast what it was like uh, to be in Washington the first time at the seat of power, and then the second time being in a local church, not necessarily in the seat of power. Sure, and I'm trying not to laugh out loud as I imagine my response to this question, because I think about my best friends would tell you that there is a BC Donna and an AC Donna, uh, that BC is before the call and AC is after the call. And in some ways, my life could not, I mean, could look, probably could not look any more different when you think about before the call and after the call. Um, Mm. So before the call took place, um, or my life evolved around four or six different blocks in Washington, D.C., all on Capitol Hill. Um, It was a time of figuring out, um, okay, how can I get to the very next step on the ladder, and how can I keep on climbing, and who do I need to meet next in order to get my next position or in order to get my next promotion or whatever that might look like. So I Hmm. would say that before the call, the focus was probably 90% upon me and what I wanted, Um, and then returning Um, has been about, okay, Um, there's still very much of that drive within me um, and that desire um, to not be someone who settles um, for second best, but someone who's always trying to offer my very best and to be my best. But all of that is tempered by one who has called me and one who has called me um, to a place where I wasn't immediately affirmed. Um, where it took a long time to figure out how my gifts were going to be utilized here um, as I came to a place that was very much a struggling congregation that could have easily um, made the decision to close instead of making the decision um, to do something new and vibrant. Um, And so now part of my gift is working with individuals who do have um, access to power and privilege and trying to constantly offer the reminder that I needed at that time, um, that we are not what our business card says about us, that we are not to reduce to what we do during the work week, but that we are deeply beloved children of God um, who are called to make a difference in the world around us, starting with the people who are right outside our door. Mm -hmm. And in a couple of articles that I uh, have read either by you or about you, uh, a lot of the folks outside your door are homeless and, and poverty-stricken. Yes, we live in a community um, that we, so the church is located in a place that currently has one of the highest cost of living in the city in terms of what people are paying to rent an apartment or to buy um, a home to live. And so the cost of living uh, is, is extraordinary in this immediate neighborhood. But then I can also look outside my office window now and see two or three people who are sitting on the same bench where they spent the night. Mm. So we are in a place um, of great extremes, and we're trying hard to figure out what does life look like when it's lived together 
um, with both or all of these people in a community, and how do we create space where all of mm. these people can come together? Yeah. So um, a question that I ask a lot of my guests is, well, how did seminary prepare you to do what you're doing right now? Yes, I think seminary laid the foundation that I needed and offered um, the basic aspects of um, my theological awareness that I needed to go forth. Um, I'm, uh, I was at Duke during a time when so many of the extraordinary people were teaching there, um, people who were the best of the best of the best in their fields. Um, I was there when Greg Jones was the dean, and I'll always be grateful for Greg's commitment to excellence and what does excellence look like in ministry. I love how Greg talks about um, how there's so much mediocrity masquerading as God's faithfulness in the church today. And so in terms of what I think I took from Duke, it is, okay, we're going to offer you this basic foundation and we're going to try our best to teach you how to embody um, your very best in whatever way God is calling you, and then send you forth. Hmm. Very neat. So um, what didn't seminary prepare you to do? Uh, what I are the things you're doing that. now? Yeah. Yeah, so when I first got to Mount Vernon Place, we were on the um, edge of selling property that was worth an extraordinary amount of money. And so when I first got here, when I first returned to Washington, I had an educate, I mean, education in real estate development 101. And I don't <laughs> think that there's any seminary course, um, no matter where that seminary is located worldwide, that could have prepared me for that. Um, I think some of the messiness with people and relationships, whether it's staff relationships or relationships amongst people who are serving on your council or on the same team, um, I don't know how I would have gotten a better education in those ways, but I would love um, for certainly more knowledge and wisdom in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I think I mean, with any education, um, we can't offer you everything you need, no matter what you're studying for. Some of it you do learn on your own. Uh, but goodness, and maybe perhaps if we had that education, we would be scared to death anyway and might not want to go uh, if we were told that this is what we might be dealing with. Hmm. So what are the things that you do uh, to continue to educate yourself? Uh, hmm. You've been in ministry a while now. What are, what are those things that uh, keep you um, on top of, of, of things? Yeah, so I love surrounding myself with people who I believe um, are better and more effective pastors than I am. And so I am so privileged to be part of a clergy women's group with four other clergy women who are serving in the Baltimore Washington Annual Conference. And we initially came together through an excellence grant, or not excellence grants, but a, um, a grant that we were given um, through uh, Austin Seminary. And then mm. we've been able to stay together. Um, or, so they originally gave us $10,000 to start our group, and then we've stayed together four years later. And so I feel like these women are constantly pushing me um, to be on top of my game, but also constantly pushing me to pay attention to how God is at work in my life um, and how God might be moving in my life. And so I'm profoundly grateful for them. I try to take advantage of um, good continuing education at least um, once a year and to try to push myself 
And then I try to do um, or to read as much as I possibly can as well. But I find that my time with colleagues is probably what sharpens me, um, both mm-hmm. spiritually and as a leader and as a person um, and as a woman more than anything else. Okay. Now, um, this question came through uh, an email uh, from our call and vocation team, and they wanted to let you know that they are uh, fans of your blog and <laughs> and of your ministry. And uh, they always point out how authentic your ministry is. Mm-hmm. And so this is a question that you're not prepared for. I didn't send this one ahead of time, but what does it mean to be authentic in ministry? And why is it important for someone who might be wrestling with a call to be authentic? Wow, I'm really grateful for that question. Um, I think for me, um, to be authentic means to show others that following Jesus is so incredibly hard and that Mm. Jesus invites us and leads us to do things um, that we're not always ready for and things that could have consequences and things that are really scary at times. Um, I think being authentic means reminding people that it's really, really, really hard um, to uh, be a faithful pastor and a faithful wife at the same time and try to keep both of those places as happy as could be at all times. Um, I think being authentic means to say to people, gosh, I have no idea what we should do at this point in our journey, but let's try to figure out um, what we're supposed to do together. Um, I think being authentic means to tell people that I am just as much of a sinner in need of God's grace as anyone else, Um, and to constantly being open um, to being corrected, um, to being told by someone else, you know, what if this way might work better? Um, And I think, yeah, I I have just tried really hard um, to share my struggles with other people Um, when I think about how we've responded to the community around us, particularly with our neighbors who are unhoused, uh, or what that looks like, um, to try really, really, really hard to not come across as having all the answers, um, but to come across as one who's really eager to figure out what the answer is together. Hmm. Very neat. Yeah, well, um, what, what has been the most difficult thing about uh, doing ministry in your situation? What, what would you say is uh, the biggest challenge? When you say my situation, what do you mean? Um, a downtown church in, mm. in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean, I think our biggest challenge is how do we live together? And so um, if we have a meal together and there are people there who um, are more than housed, very well housed, and people there who are struggling to find housing um, or want to be in a place of housing, if there are people there who are extraordinarily successful in the eyes of many people in our city and those who are struggling to find a place where their gifts could be utilized, if there are people at the table who um, are conservative Republicans, and if there are people at the table who are liberal Democrats, um, if there are gay men, and if there are straight men who are trying to figure out what that might mean for someone to be gay, um, how is it, if there's a 90-plus-year-old at the table and a 21-year-old at the table, so how is, which is very symbolic of who we are as a congregation, then mm. how is it that we faithfully figure out how to live life together? 
um, how to be in community together, how to love one another, and then how we all together can better love the city and the community that's around us. Yeah, that is a challenge. It's and a beautiful one that we, challenge. It is a beautiful challenge. It's one that we as United Methodists, uh, you know, every four years, you know, get the great opportunity to figure it out together. And this year in Portland. So mm-hmm. um, what is the greatest joy you have in being uh, the, the minister at Mount Vernon Place? I always say I have the best job in Washington, and I regularly say that. When I first got here, our chair of staff parish was 97 years old, and Mm. Mabel used to look me in the eye all the time and tell me, Donna, Mount Vernon Place is in the center of the city, and the city needs Mount Vernon Place, and Mount Vernon Place needs you. And don't you ever forget that you have the best job in Washington. And for the first couple of years, I thought Mabel was crazy, And now I'm so grateful that Mabel kept telling me that until I could believe it myself. Um, But there is not Mm. a day that goes by that doesn't give me joy in some way. And so I love seeing a life transformed, um, whether that is someone who has been um, experiencing homelessness for a long time that finally gets into housing. Um, I'm in a place where um, I have the daunting and incredible privilege of sometimes um, someone showing up in worship and holding this key in front of me and saying, I finally have a place to call my own. Um, I love it when people um, like figure out what an abundant life looks like and are willing to take the necessary steps to get there. So I think about um, people who figure out the joy of generosity, um, the joy of letting go of some of what God has given to us um, in order to share it with other people. I love watching someone experience that transformation. Um, We currently have um, a handful of people who are discerning a call to ministry. We'll have two people ordained at our annual conference this year, and then um, three or four who are trying to figure out how God might be calling them. Um, I love journeying with people in that experience. Um, I love going to visit an older adult um, who wants to tell me stories of what it meant to be in our city 50 or 60 years ago. Um, there's not, I mean, I can experience joy and I love it when a sermon comes together that you've been wrestling with. Um, I love it when people say that they want to learn about membership in your church. I love it when someone's willing to just sit down and share their story with me over a cup of coffee. Um, I regularly think, yes, hands down, I have one of the best jobs in Washington. Well, I'm going to leave that as your last word. So, I want to thank you for giving your time today, and we look forward to hearing more about your ministry in Washington, D.C. How would someone uh, find your blog? Sure. You can just go to our church website, which is www.mvpumc.org. So www.mountvernonplaceumc.org, and you'll remind me that I need to blog more often. (laughs) There we go. Well, thanks again for being on the show, and thanks, everyone, for listening to us on Blog Talk Radio. The show will be available as a podcast at the Blog Talk page and at the show's website, umconnect.info. And we're going to be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening 
to connect. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.